the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Six minutes uh, after six o'clock here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It is a Thursday. Guess what? First day of October. We have moved into a new month now. Three months are left. About thirty days left uh, uh, till the election. How many? How many days total we got now, guys? How many days in October? Thirty, and then three in November. So what? We got 33 days total, but early voting begins here in uh, Arkansas on the 19th, right? This month. Yeah, 31. 31 days in October. So 31 and three, 34 days. Man, we're we're getting close. Next uh, next Mm -hmm. week, uh, we're going to have a another debate. This one between the vice presidential candidates, and uh, I talked to to uh, Seth here uh, a few moments ago. The next debate won't be a debate. It'll be a town hall. So that will happen uh, week after next. And then the uh, final week of October, we'll have one more debate uh, like we had uh, a debate, uh, you know, Tuesday night uh, coming up in the final week of October, just so everybody um, is uh, aware of that. Uh, I want to Say uh, welcome back to Eric over at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. He'll be, you'll, I'll be talking about him later on in the show. He's come back to the Dave Ellswick Show to let you know, uh, you know, he's ready to go uh, get you ready for Christmas. Everybody wanted to hear me say that, didn't you? You wanted me to say, yeah, it's time to start thinking about, you know, uh, getting out there and and doing your shopping now for Christmas. Of course. Uh, I haven't even talked to you about uh, Amazon is going to have uh, their special days coming up here uh, this month where if you're one of their, you know, you're on uh, Amazon Prime, you can take part in the Amazon Prime days. That's going to happen uh, during this month. A lot of things going to happen this month, just letting you know. A lot of things going down as uh, COVID-19 has put everything out of you know what it where it normally is. Normally, Prime Days happen back in the summer, but they're happening in the fall. And I'm already hearing uh, the big box stores talking about there won't be a quote Black Friday like we normally have. It's going to be uh, done differently this year. So we'll just have to see how they uh, intend to. Uh, to do this so seth and uh, jr are with us jr uh, davis is with the gilmore group uh seth is with the uh, arkansas gop 
good to have him along for the ride today. And, guys, we got a lot to talk about today. Let's start off with the debate. Let's get uh, your take on it. I'll, I'll start off. Uh, let's start off with Seth. And, uh, Seth, your take on uh, Tuesday night's debate. What did you think? Good morning, Dave. Well, I thought it was just very quiet, very mild-mannered. I wish people <laughs> would show some emotion from time to time. That's yeah. what I was really looking for. No, we. Th- this isn't unusual. If we think back to the first debate in 2016, I believe it was Lester Holt of NBC and former Secretary Hillary Clinton and candidate Donald Trump. It was the first time that they really had a chance to be in the room. I don't know if they were in a room together uh, uh, at that point since the president married Melania Trump, you know, and Hillary attended his wedding. So, that was the first chance for them to really be in the same room. And it, too, was, I think people would describe it as punchy. Um, and, and, and just the first-time jitters of being in the same room with a person that you've gone after and they've gone after you on the campaign trail. But, lo and behold, here you are and here's your chance. And so we saw that once again on Tuesday night with the former Vice President Joe Biden, the first time that these two gentlemen – Uh, uh, got to be in the same room at the same time and to say these things that they've said on the campaign trail to each other's faces. So I think the president came out strong. Uh, uh, Some people think too strong, and there was certainly a lot of crosstalk. The one thing that was interesting, though, from the former Vice President Biden was I don't think people would have thought he would have been the number one name caller at the end of the debate, calling the uh-huh. sitting president a liar, a clown. And when he told the president, hey, man, shut up, you know, so I think that was surprising, at least when the president would cut off Joe Biden, it was to make a point about his record. He wasn't just name calling, but Biden constantly under his breath, you could tell uh, that was certainly a debate tactic. So. This will be the most important debate. We'll see a huge drop-off in viewership for the next two, as is traditional. People want to tune into the first one. Um, and, and to be honest, Dave, I just don't know that there's a lot of swing voters, right? I think most people are committed to the president or they're committed to Joe Biden. And to the extent there are swing voters, they already lean to one direction. They're just sort of looking for an excuse. They're looking to say, well, there's now a Supreme Court vacancy, and I like conservative judges, so now I'm for Trump. Or, well, you know, I watched the debate, and I just thought Trump was a meanie, and so I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. And and people were already leaning those ways. They're just sort of looking for an excuse. And to that extent, I think Tuesday's debate did that. People that wanted to vote for the president saw an aggressive president who stood for his record, and okay, now they're ready to vote for him. And people that wanted to vote for Joe Biden saw that Joe Biden didn't pass out on stage, and that was good enough, you know? So uh, that's what I make of it. To the extent that they matter, I think it reinforced what people already wanted to do. They just needed a reason to to do it. All right. J.R., your take on the first debate. I think uh, Jake Tapper said it best, a hot mess inside a dumpster fire, uh, inside a train wreck. <laughs> it was a disgrace. I mean, Dana Bash called it a, you know, SHIT show uh, following uh, the debate. I mean, look, I thought it was, I thought it was awful. Um, I love presidential debates, and I felt like this one was, you know, it, it didn't do anything for the American people. I agree with Seth. I think those who, you know, Trump supporters came in and left as Trump supporters. Biden supporters came in and left as as Biden supporters. But I felt like the president made three key mistakes throughout this debate. The first one, and, and, you know, probably the biggest, 
was not allowing Joe Biden to be Joe Biden. Uh, he his interruptions, the constant interruptions, just overshadowed Joe's inability to string a sentence together. He looked feeble when he did. He looked like he you know couldn't quite remember what he was saying at times. But we didn't see enough of that, and that's what the American people needed to see uh, in that debate is the fact that there's there may just the question of there may be something wrong with Joe Biden. Okay. Uh, second, secondly. Uh, again, the constant interruptions didn't give uh, enough to me. In my mind, it didn't highlight the fact that Joe Biden didn't answer the question about packing the courts. Um, and there was just so much back and forth. It was almost like there just wasn't appropriate follow up from the moderator. I don't know if it was confusion, but, but we needed to hold that accountable because that's a big issue to the American people. The majority of Americans do not want uh, to pack uh, the Supreme Court. They do not want uh, another justice or two added to the Supreme Court. Um, so that was an important part. And then finally, just, you know, again, the uh, headline at the end of the debate for everything that happened was, of course, Trump, you know, the media saying that Trump did not denounce white supremacy. I, I don't know, Dave, for whatever reason, it was a golden opportunity for him just to, like, get that off the table and be done with it. Um, and I think you missed that opportunity. And, and so there was just some things that I thought the president came out really well in the first 10 minutes. And I think the strategy of sort of, you know, interrupting Biden at times in the first 10 to 15 minutes was really good because that's going to get Biden off track. And he even questioned him about a hundred million number. And you could tell on Biden's face, he wasn't really sure if he had that right or not, you know, right at the beginning. And, and so, you know, I, I like that strategy of getting him a little bit confused because that plays to your strength and that plays to his weakness. After that, though, it just turned into a, uh, I mean, it was just crazy. And I agree, I agree with Seth. The name calling from Biden was a disappointment and was uh, surprising as well. So, I mean, it was just, it was very disappointing. I think this vice presidential uh, debate will be one of the most consequential vice presidential debates or town halls that we've we've ever uh, witnessed, because I think it's going to be the one time that we get real substantive contrast and policy differences on stage at the same time. I don't know that we're going to get that in the next two debates for the presidential candidates. Okay, so do you think that uh, the ne- the next uh, uh, town hall debate will be the make or break moment? for these candidates? Well, I mean, to Seth's point, I mean, viewership's probably going to drop off. There's not going to be that many people tuning in like like the uh, must-see TV and the presidential debates. Um, but I think so. I mean, I think it's going to be a big deal. I think that Mike Pence has an opportunity to really talk about the successes of this administration um, and contrast the two candidates and there was one thing that Trump tried to do. I don't know if you caught this, but he just kind of said it was like a one-line deal, and then he, he left, uh, or then he you know they moved on to something else. But uh, Joe was talking about, you know, he is the Democratic Party, which I thought was a faux pas line on his part. Um, and then it, I think Trump said something like uh, something he, something about his administration. He said, "Well, Harris said it," and he was referring to Kamala Harris saying, "You know, the Harris administration." a while back in one of those interviews. Right. Um, I think this is an opportunity for Mike Pence to contrast the this potential administration versus the current one and really, really talk about 
you know, who you're really voting for. Um, and and I, so I think, yes, I think it's going to be very consequential. And uh, and, and I hope it's uh, I hope he performs well. Um, I feel like he will. Uh, I think it'll actually be a very good debate. All right. So the next uh, the next debate will be next Wednesday, uh, and we'll have it here live on one hundred one point one FM. The answer had a lot of people say that uh, you know it was uh, difficult to listen to the debate uh, on Tuesday night on radio because both of the candidates were talking over each other. Uh, I I thought that uh, Trump got in some major shots against uh, uh, Joe Biden. Whether people will remember them, I don't know, because the mainstream media is not going to help them remember them. I mean, Joe Biden did not answer the question about whether he would, you know, he went along with the Democratic Party of uh, stacking the court because whether he thinks he's the head of the Democratic Party or not, the Democratic Party itself wants to stack the court. They've been making that yeah. very, very clear. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll have to see how uh, how that comes up because I think that's going to come up in the the next debate and it's also going to come up in the uh, 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 the town hall that's uh, you know, shooting to happen a week or two weeks uh, from this week. All right, let's get our first break in, then we'll come back and uh, we'll talk further about this. I want to talk about uh, the uh, confirmation hearings that are going to get underway, I do believe, next week. And, uh, you know, uh, Senator Feinstein uh, uh, said that uh, she doesn't think that there's a, they're not given, that Lindsey Graham's not given enough time uh, to vet. Uh, the the candidate, the nominee, and and I look at it and go, hey, you just you just gave her a lifetime appointment on the appellate court three years ago. Did you half-ass your job then? You didn't ask her all the questions that you thought you know were necessary then. Uh, I mean, let let's be honest. I mean, I look at Diane Feinstein, and she's kind of the the female equivalent of Joe Biden now. I mean, she's not the same senator she was uh, five years ago. She's just not. She's not as sharp. In fact, that's become a bone of contention amongst uh, some senators on the Democrat side. They don't think that she can pull the water anymore. We'll talk about that as well. 20 after 6, a break. The Dave Ellswick Show happening right now on 101.1 FM, The Answer. I like the way that they set that up for a sequel. What about the boy? What boy? Jason, you didn't, we didn't find any boy. Ah, uh, he's still out there then. <laughs> We're going to show. I can't wait for us to show that on the big screen. By the way, starring Kevin Bacon, he's not in it for very long, folks. Let me just warn you. If, you, if by some unbelievable you've had your head in the ground for 40 years, he's not in the movie for a long time. Just, Just... Just want you to know, and you might not even recognize him because he's uh, 40 years younger uh, in that movie. But Friday the 13th on the 13th of this month, 40 years old this year. Unbelievable. All right. Seth is here, of course, from the Arkansas GOP uh, communications director. Is that the is that the right terminology? That works. Okay. Spokesperson, either or. Okay, spokesperson. And then uh, J.R. Davis, he's with the Gilmore Group. Uh, he's with us as well. Uh, 
Let's go back to the debate uh, a little bit. And uh, I agree with you, Jr. that I thought the president missed some opportunities. But, you know, when you're in the midst of a debate, easy to miss, you know, comeback lines and stuff like that. Uh, I thought he kind of let the uh, the vice president off a little bit right at the very beginning when he didn't hammer home the point that you know he was duly elected by the people and uh, for six or for four years and these senators for six years so they have every right in the world to uh, take care of uh, nominating and then doing a confirmation hearing for Barrett for the Supreme Court you don't you don't quit being president with your Supreme Court, uh, uh, with your constitutional responsibilities or in your in your fourth year or whatever year uh, the opposing party thinks that you shouldn't uh, exercise your uh, constitution. That that is the biggest thing that just amazes me about the American people is that it's like, well, no, the president shouldn't nominate because it's too close to the election. He's. He's the president until he's he's been defeated or he dies in office. You know, yeah, Uh, yeah. he he has the right to do that. The Constitution gives him that right. I I think you're right. And that was probably the best answer he had all night. It was strong out of the box. I I actually thought it was I mean, it was a terrific answer. I mean, and basically, you know, he was saying I've been elected for four years and I'm the president and we had the Senate. So if you're upset that this didn't happen when President Obama uh, nominated Merrick Garland, it's because he didn't have the Senate. That's just the way things work. So, I mean, I was very simple. I'm the president. I'm elected for four years and we have a Republican Senate. So I can do this and I'm going to do this. And it's my obligation of the Constitution to do it. So <clears throat> it was very clear. I think it was uh, helpful to the American people. Uh, understanding that process. And, I mean, I actually thought it was one of his stronger answers of the night. I mean, the bottom line was uh, Obama had the right to nominate uh, uh, Merritt Garrett or Garrett Merritt or however he uh, did his name, I forget. Uh, He had the right to nominate him, but he knew he wasn't going to get him through. He knew that wasn't going to happen. Well, and the person who said it best was probably Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself, who said the president doesn't stop being the president in an election year. It is there isn't a caveat in the Constitution where presidents actually get three years instead of four years if you're if it's going to be your midterm, you know. And, right. and a lot of Democrats take issue and say, "Well, President Obama was uh, they, they stole a seat from him with Merrick Garland." President Obama was not prevented from making a nomination. He did that. And then it goes to the Senate for advice and consent. And Mitch McConnell's advice was to take a hike. And that and that happened after the American people delivered the country, a Republican Congress, to act as a check to the president, a Republican uh, House and a Republican Senate. So um, it, it is a little bit different times in that we expanded our Senate majority in the last midterm, suggesting the work of the Senate was to continue being done. And so we just have a White House and a Senate that are in, uh, not to uh, take this word out of context, but in Congress together. Okay, not necessarily the House has any involvement in this, but the Senate and the White House are together on this issue, which was not the case uh, four years ago. Well, of course, Congress 
right now does have a play in this because Pelosi's got her hand firmly in the back of Schumer when he stands in front of microphones to talk. I mean, he's her dumb. Yep. There's, there's no doubt about no. it. But that's just I mean, it. I mean, there's, doing... there's nothing. There's nothing they can do, and that's. I mean, that's that's what irritates. I mean, that's where you all of a sudden start hearing, you know, this idea of packing the courts, um, adding yeah. justices, and you know, that's not popular with the American people. And, and I, look, there's there's a faction of of sure Americans that are like, yeah, pack the courts, let's do that. Well, when we have 37 justices on the courts in the year, you know. Uh, 2038. I mean, that's going to be a bit of an issue there. I think most Americans realize that hey, it's a you know it's a back and forth process. Um, it's worked. It'll be fine. I don't think the American people. I know the American people. The majority of them do not want to add justices to the Supreme right. Court. Which again, stand by. Yeah, stand by. We got news. We'll be back. All right, 25 minutes until uh, seven o'clock. Uh, if you're keeping score that way. For you who are coming in from Conway, what uh, our uh, traffic uh, lady just did is to tell you that you may draft the car before you. So uh, the NASCAR race has begun from Conway uh, to Little Rock. That I, I look at I-40 as nothing more than the speedway anymore out there. It's amazing to me. Uh, how people drive out there anymore and how closely they follow behind you. You know, they really are drafting out there. All right, guys, final uh, statements about uh, the debate. Anything that you would like to bring up? Was there anything that happened during the debate? Do you think that uh, did Joe Biden do enough during the debate? Uh, do you think that that happened? Let me just say, we'll start, let me start with Jr. on that one. Go ahead, Jr. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, I, I'm not, you know, no one's uh, pulling the fire alarm here. I mean, most presidents in their first debates, it's just basically, this was different, but everybody, you know, is trying to get your feet wet again. Obama had a bad first debate. I mean, you go on throughout, there's a lot of presidents that struggle in that first re-election debate. I think Trump has a really good opportunity the next two debates to do a better job of really contrasting himself and sort of the command he had of the debate in the beginning. Uh, to uh, the feebleness of Joe Biden. So, it, you know, a month is an eternity in politics, uh, and so this isn't certainly an emergency right now, but, but that's what I hope to see happen over the next two. All right. Jay, or, uh, pardon me, uh, Seth? Sure. I would, I would say I think one thing we're going to see next week in the vice presidential debate are the hard questions for each of the candidates. Mike Pence is going to get a question on white supremacist, and Kamala Harris is going to get a question on court packing. Um, and, and I think that's probably guaranteed to get each of their opinions on that. And it will be incredibly interesting, that question to Kamala Harris, because I believe the week after next, she's going to be on the Judiciary Committee um, uh, to hear the hearings of Amy Coney Barrett. So how's that for a transition? Yeah. The, it, it, do you think they're used the, the vice presidential debate as an opportunity to reset I certainly think so, and I think it will set the tone the way that Kamala Harris approaches that debate. You know, part of the reason she was picked for vice president is because she's a former prosecutor, and the Biden team wanted her to quite literally take the case to the American people against the president, and she'll try to do that against the vice president next week. And if we think back to 
to previous Supreme Court confirmation fights, you know, like Cory Booker's Spartacus moment, that happened prior to Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford having their charged statements later. So they were already having Spartacus moments before uh, things really got heated. And things will be heated because it's a Supreme Court vacancy so close to the election because the person that held the seat, I, I don't like when we say it's RBG seat. No, it's the Supreme Court seat. It's the Constitution seat. It, it right. the seat belongs to no individual, but because she was the most recent to occupy that, the left will be charged. And I think we see an aggressive Kamala Harris next week. And I, I think that works to Mike Pence's benefit. He is water off a duck's back. If you look back at him and Tim Kaine four years ago. He is smooth. He does not get blustered. And when his opponent looks blustered, he looks comical and collected. And I'm ready for it. Yeah, I'm, I know Mike. I know Mike very well. And let me just tell you, it it takes a lot to rattle Mike Pence. I'll just yep. tell you that. It takes a lot. He and I were talk show hosts at the same time uh, at for the same company in Indianapolis. So I know Mike really, really well. And he's very, very good in those situations. And he's parlayed it. I mean, he was a great talk show host. He was a great congressman. He was a great governor. And I think he's been a great vice president, to be honest. Yeah. I think he's, he's done his job. All right, Jr. The confirmation hearing is going to get underway. If I'm not mistaken, didn't Lindsey Graham said next week we're going to start it? Yes, I believe that is correct. Yeah, uh, I good. think it will be, yeah. Go ahead. Let's go ahead. No, yeah, no, I was going to say, I, mean, I think it's going to be uh, thorough to your point. They're already familiar uh, with Amy Coney Barrett. Um, and, you know, I think it's going to go pretty seamless, quite frankly. Um, you know, I think that uh, it's going to make the Democrats super angry just because there's nothing they can do and they're just sitting watching this happen. Um, but I expect it to go really well. Um, and you're already seeing a lot of uh, uh, praise from, you know, uh, female senators talking about Amy Coney Barrett and just impressed with her resume, the fact that she's a you know a working mom. Um, and so, I mean, I think this has a really good potential to help play well for Trump to capture, you know, that female audience that he badly needs to capture over the next month. Uh, will it be enough? I don't know. But I think this is a really great opportunity um, for the president uh, and for the Senate as a whole um, moving forward towards the end of the election. All right. What do you think, Seth? Yeah, so we will have, just to sort of lay out a timeline, it will be the week of the 12th that everything really picks up. We're going to have four days of hearing. All of this is customary. So you're going to hear the Democrats say that, oh, Republicans are speeding this up. This is a shorter confirmation. The actual week of confirmation will be the same as it always is. Four days. The first day is merely an introduction, a welcome to the nominee, to their family. But we've seen even in the past that turn heated with with folks and protesters standing up in the back and screaming. I'm I'm optimistic that maybe a benefit of covid will be because of social distancing. They simply can't have more than the members of the Senate, the nominee and her family and the staffers for the senators in the room that they're going to have to space out. You're not going to have the whole bench behind the senators lined person to person of staffers. You know, everybody's going to have to distance. So maybe we get fewer screamers in the back. And then after the day of introduction, we are used to two days of questions. 
And then on the fourth day, you bring in character witnesses, so to speak, might just be the best way to frame that people that know Judge Barrett. Uh, that have worked with her, students of hers, most likely. And then the Democrats will bring in a bunch of liberal law professors that will say we're one vote away from ending America. And that's yeah. about, that's what's going to happen on the fourth day. And then on the fifth day, we rest, right? So, Okay, uh, so the, but, but Seth and J.R., let, one, let me ask this question, and we'll use this as our jumping off, off part uh, uh, point for the, the next break. We'll get your answers and we'll break. And that is, can the left... That is uh, so prevalent in the Democrat Party control themselves. And I, I, uh, I, I agree with you, Seth. I hope that we don't have the people inside the room. But remember, they were banging on the doors and screaming during Kavanaugh's hearing. And you could hear him in the background. Yep. So uh, I expect that to happen again. And uh, who knows how many people the, the media will be outside and they'll set up a, a, a time when Senate members can be cornered in the elevator or whatever. So, um, you know, do you think the left can control themselves? Because if they get out of control, if they're doing all this yelling and disruption, the American people will see that that is the Democrat Party and that will hurt uh, Joe Biden and uh, Harris. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, think I, I don't think the, their base will let them. I think they have to show the moral outrage. This has to be the the greatest assault on American democracy. The Democrats have to be unhinged. I don't don't think their base is going to accept anything else. JR? No, I agree completely. I mean, look, this is what we saw in the debate when we did hear actual words in the debate. And when Biden, you know, Biden was uncomfortable uh, at times because he knew he had to sort of you know, thread the needle with some of his answers because of that, you know, far left base that he has to get out to the polls. That's the same thing with this. Uh, Democrats in the Senate are not going to sit idly by and just let this process move forward, knowing there's nothing they can do about it. They're going to make a circus out of it. Uh, They're going to be aggressive, uh, which, again, is why I think this is a great opportunity for the president uh, and for Republican members of the Senate uh, that have tough reelection campaigns to, to, you know, really reach out and, and, you know, connect with female voters, because I think Democrats are going to be overly aggressive uh, and it's going to look bad. So absolutely, I expect that. And I think that's what we'll see. All right. Got to get a break in. Final break for this hour. Don't forget about the good folks over at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. Eric and his uh, staff are back on the air here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, if you want to know about diamonds... Ladies, if you want to know about diamonds and you want your husband to buy you a diamond, say, for the upcoming uh, holiday season, make sure you send them to Hillcrest Designer Jewelry at uh, 3000 Cavanaugh Boulevard here in Little Rock. Because if there's one thing Eric knows, and uh, he knows a lot, but if there's one thing he really knows, it's diamonds. And he's going to tell you... Don't go on the Internet and buy a diamond because there's too many faux diamonds. Uh, Better word for faux is fake. Fake diamonds. They're not real diamonds. They are fake diamonds. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can pay an inordinate amount of money and uh, get taken. And uh, Eric doesn't want that to happen. Secondly, if you're wanting a ring, 
that's unique, that's different, that reflects your personality or reflects the person's personality that you're buying it for, you go see Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. They have a piece of equipment, a computer, within the jewelry store that you'll sit down with a gentleman and you will construct the, the ring to look the way you want it to look. That's the two main reasons why you should be using Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. Diamonds, because Eric knows more about diamonds and his little finger than most jewelers know uh, about jewelry in general, and they can make uh, the uh, these uh, great pieces of jewelry that you want that are custom-made right there on the spot. Again, they're at 3000 Cavanaugh Boulevard here in Little Rock. Their phone number is 501-246-3655. That's 501-246-3655. Go see them today. They open at 10 a.m. That's Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. All right, coming up at uh, 7.05, Bob Thomas will join us. Uh, he is there. He'll be in studio. So if you're watching on uh, Facebook Live, you'll be able to see him talking to me. Uh, he is running uh, for the, uh, I think, Senate seat in District, State Senate seat in District 32 against the Democratic challenger, uh, Clark Tucker. They're both trying to fill that seat. That was held by Will Bond, who decided not to, not to seek uh, re-election uh, here in the in the future. So Senate Democrats are demanding more time to vet Barrett. I, I find this just crazy. Uh, a tweet from uh, uh, Senator Feinstein, quote, Chairman Graham's abbreviated timeline for the confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett undercuts the Senate's ability to fulfill its constitutional advice and consent role, the American public deserves a deliberative, thorough process, and this falls far short, unquote. Now, again, let's remember that, uh, you know, Judge Amy Coney Barrett went through this whole confirmation process back for her appellate courtship three years ago. I mean... What are what are the different questions you're going to ask other than maybe some things that she's been has had to make a decision about in the appellate court and to say that you can't take care of that during the necessary time been set up by Graham is a, a specious argument. Jr. You got your mute on, Jr. Because I'm not oh, here. Yeah, but- <laughs> sorry. Uh, well, I was just telling you, and I'm so sorry. You cut out uh, my phone. Cut out that last part two seconds. So, what did you? What was the question? Well, the and question is, you know, is there it, other than her appellate court decisions? Uh, what of what else are the Democrats going to ask? Are they going to go back and and recast everything that they asked oh, yeah. uh, Barrett three years ago? No, I think you're. I think you're right. I mean, that's the thing is that they've already done this once, they, and that's why I say they they know who she is. I think what you're going to see is what you know. If you Google this morning, uh, what you see with all this. I mean, you know, the Guardian has an article up that said religious groups scrub all references to Amy Coney Barrett from its website. Uh, I mean, you know, there's going to be. Uh, 
there's going to be questions about, you know, like you said, similar to what they've asked before, but there will be, you know, new questions, I'm sure, that focus on uh, maybe more uh, maybe more specific questions uh, about pro-life issues and things like that, and will her religion dictate, uh, you know, the way she rules in the court? I mean, but look, at this point, what is it? There is there six uh, justice, Catholic justices right now, I believe, uh, out of the nine on the court. So, I mean, this isn't some unprecedented deal. Um, that's where we are on the court. Um, and so this is just, it's just, again, it's going to be more of a political thing than anything else. I mean, this is a done deal, um, but the Democrats are going to take their time to try to create something out of this. And I think there's a very good chance that it backfires on them. All right. Your thoughts, Seth? We got, uh, we got just a few minutes left. Go ahead. Sure. Well, Dave, you pointed out probably the point that will be drummed home from the Republican side most assuredly, which is that she was already confirmed. And I think every member of the Judiciary Committee uh, that is on there presently was on there when she was confirmed to the appellate court. Jeff Flake was on the Judiciary Committee, we'll remember from the Kavanaugh hearings. But, of course, he's no longer in the Senate, and Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa is on the committee now. But everybody else has literally already vetted her record at one point before the appellate court. And so JR is right. They'll move on to some questions about the appellate court and then more direct questions about what do you believe about Roe v. Wade? And, And we will hear over and over, do you believe Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided? And we will hear the answer we have heard from every Supreme Court nominee since Robert Bork, which and because of Robert Bork, which is I I don't want to issue any opinions that will personal or professional that could hinge on any case that might come before me. Uh Um, And and I I think that's what what we'll see. Uh, Here's my question. Does Dianne Feinstein come dressed as Yoda uh, so that she can once again say, that uh, the dogma runs deep in this one. Uh, Within you. <laughs> yeah. She gave that, that Yoda-like answer about Barrett. And then uh, I, I'm wondering if Durbin is going to ask her again, you know, is she an Orthodox Catholic? What does that mean? I mean, I've not heard that term exactly. I've heard, you know, they speak with a forked tongue as far as uh, Catholicism goes. I mean, Biden got away with that during the debate. Um, you know, the president didn't take the opportunity when he said, and I, I was an Irish Catholic and, and was looked down on. Uh, that was a perfect opportunity as soon as the president had time to speak again for him to say, well, you know, you, you just talked about your Catholicism. Uh, has your party been wrong uh, in attacking Barrett because of her Catholicism. I mean, that would have been a perfect opportunity for yeah. that, but that was one of those missed opportunities in, in the food fight that was going on called the presidential uh, debate. So do you think that there's any surprises out there? I don't think there's anything out there that they've got on her unless she went to a did, – did she go to a party when – she was in school and and get a young man drunk and and throw herself on top of him in a bedroom or something. I mean, I, mean, we... I think she was at that. I think she was actually at that Brett Kavanaugh party. Uh, <laughs> are we going to sure hear all of that garbage again? 
I pray we do not. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you never know. Look, I, I always kind of joke that, you know, uh, there's nothing that surprises me anymore, but yet every week it seems like there is something that surprises me. So, <laughs> I agree. Now, I know what to expect from the Democrats, but who knows what they'll try to bring up. But I do think it's going to be hard for them to argue against an individual they've already voted for. Uh, and so... You know, it is what it is. Uh, we'll we'll see uh, what happens. But I, I love the fact that, you know, no matter what they do, this is a done deal, and they just have to basically sit there and take it. Okay, I got 40 seconds. Seth, let me get, let you have the final say here. Uh, do they take a final vote before the election? You know, I would have initially said not, but when you hear Lindsey Graham lay out the timeline and you hear Mitch McConnell Uh, You know, I'm not so sure that they don't take the vote before the election. You don't want the optics of taking a vote the week after the election when the election is up in the air and we've got all these ballots and and that's all a mess. So so I think they're going to go through with regular order and they're going to confirm her before the election now, which, uh, you know, a week ago, I don't know that I felt that, but I feel that today. Okay. Guys, thanks so much for being with me. We'll be uh, we'll get together again next week and we'll talk about the vice presidential debate here on the Dave Ellswick Show. J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group. Seth, uh, of course, from the uh, GOP here in Arkansas. We've got to get a break in. When we come back, we will talk to Bob Thomas. He is seeking the District 32 state Senate seat against Clark Tucker. That is the old Will Bond seat. And we'll uh, ask him a few questions when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. minutes after seven on a Thursday. My thanks to uh, J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group. Seth, uh, of course, from over at the uh, Arkansas GOP. Uh, He's communications director there, spokesman for the group. We thank him for being part of the Dave Ellswick show today. Both of those gentlemen give up, uh, you know, an extra hour of sleep every Thursday to come on the show and and talk politics with me, and they're very astute, and they know what's going on nationally, but more importantly, they know what's going on uh, locally. They will both be part of our coverage on election night, November 3rd. They'll be calling in and uh, and uh, pontificating with me about what is happening over uh, on uh, election night. During election night, we'll be following uh, the race in District 32 here in uh, in Little Rock. And it's been a long time since I believe I've been able to say that I thought that that particular district was in play. Uh, but I think that this time it is in play. Uh, Will Bond, that used to be his seat in the state Senate, 
and uh, he decided not to run for re-election. Uh, for the Democrats, they're running uh, Clark Tucker. What a big surprise there. Yeah, they, uh, you know, Clark Tucker doesn't know a political race that he doesn't want to be a part of. And then uh, last time Clark Tucker was running a political race, he was running uh, for District 2 uh, here in for state uh, uh, con- for not state, but for Congress against French Hill and got uh, beat like a bad drum. Uh, but he's running now for be a state center, uh, senator uh, from District 32. And his challenger for the Republicans is a great candidate. It's Bob Thomas and Bob sitting in the studio. So if you're watching on uh, Facebook Live right now, that's Bob sitting in my chair right now. That's not me. I didn't morph and, and look better now. I, I, you know, that's, that's Bob. And, and, Bob, it's good to have you with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, give us a little background on yourself, if you would, so people can get to know you. So I'm from this area, and a lot of people don't know District 32 is basically downtown from, like, the Clinton Library all the way to Lake Maumelle, and then uh, the north-south would be the Arkansas River to 630 and pretty much down Canis. So it's a big rectangle. It's been a left-leaning uh, district for a long time, but I think we got a chance this time to uh, to bring this to the Republican Party or bring it back to the center, which I think it should be uh, like the rest of Arkansas. So my background is I grew up here, uh, went to Catholic high school, and then uh, – University of Arkansas one year, then Centenary College in Louisiana for three, and then I went straight into the Army after that. Um, I served overseas as an engineer officer, and um, I was a Ranger-qualified engineer officer, which mostly meant that I um, was in demolitions and that kind of thing, because that was what we did over in Europe. So I was stationed over there, four kids, uh, eventually moved back to Little Rock, where I'm from. And um, I've been in the medical device business for 30 years. I've been uh, selling orthopedic implants. I go into the OR every day, and uh, basically that's that's what I've done. So my specialty is probably towards health care and the hospitals that are such a vital part of our um, community. So that, that's a little background on me. Well, you have a you have a relative that uh, is up in Stone County, I understand. <laughs> yeah. Is that true? That's true. The Thomases are originally from that area, and my sister Missy moved back up there after um, ma- being married after college. And she uh, she's the state senator, Missy Irvin, uh, who's she's done a lot for the state, and I kind of want to follow in her footsteps. Uh, kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting to be a Catholic now. Uh, do you think anybody's going to make anything out of that uh, as you run for this state seat, or are we by? Have we gotten past that here in the state of Arkansas? You know, that's a good question, and I'm not sure. Since I'm um, in the middle of, um, oh, you know, there is a national question that's been raised about the Supreme Court candidate. Um, yes. And so that, you know, religion, it shouldn't be part of it. The um, the discussion, I don't think, you know, I'm here to say that, you know, if we as government, the government takes your money and everybody just has accepted that. And then what we do with it is super important. So who your elected officials are, 
it's a big deal because we're taking your money and we're spending your money. And so you uh-huh. need to hire somebody that's going to uh, pay attention to that, not to where he goes to church or what his personal beliefs are in religion. All right. So let's talk about District 32. Uh, you'll be, of course, uh, uh, in District 32 and representing District 32. But as a state senator, uh, you'll also be making decisions that are going to, you know, have big impacts on on uh, Arkansans all over the state. So as far as District 32 is concerned, what are the main areas of concern that you have that you would like to see addressed? So, you know, there's a big debate brewing over education and the charter schools and um, giving people the choice to move their children around to other schools based on their interest or based on what they feel is important for the the kids Um, and uh, to give them the freedom to to start their lives with a solid education and a solid foundation that's so important and so uh that there's a huge difference between clark tucker and i and so you know he's on the side of the teachers union and i'm on the side of uh school choice and so that's a big thing brewing and people need that my family um gave us the an education made sure that we had a good education and then set us free you know like a catch and release program you know yeah and uh and then you have that foundation. You can do anything. And, and I, I think I want to get government out of your face and out of your way, give you the opportunity to be successful on your own. We don't, you know, I'm not a big fan of the nanny state. And, um, you know, and I'm not a fan of a political class of elites that run our country. That's kind of what we've accepted. And I, I just can't stand that. I'm, a, I'm not a professional politician or a public speaker. I'm just a um, hardworking guy that wants the government to work for me instead of the other way around. Yeah, let let me go back, and you said that Clark Tucker seems to lean towards the union. Uh, Is he leaning towards the Little Rock uh, Teachers Union and not coming, uh, teachers not coming back to Little Rock schools? And and how do you feel about that? You know, you look at the people not working. I I am just it's a gut check to me when I see a lot of the state people have become they have started using this as an excuse to be lazy I, and I'm just laying that out there Dave I know that that's kind of a crazy statement but I think I think we've we all adjusted in March we did everything we we're supposed to do and everybody had this um, government in their face and I kind of understand that for a little while but at some point. Everybody that I know, a lot of the state departments and not only here but other states, they just started just being lazy. And uh, that just irks me. And I, I, to me, that's what it is. I mean, Trump works every day. Did you ever see him take a day off? I mean, he, he, he worked so hard during this whole time frame. And everybody's uh, – all these other people, even Congress, uh, um, they weren't in session. They were like, I know, we're, we're all staying home. You know, but we're going to uh-huh. criticize this other guy so much. Yeah, and and they have criticized him so much. There's no doubt about that. But uh, you know, what do you? How about you know Dan Sullivan is a is a state senator elect. He's going to be 
doing his first term, if you would win, you and he would go in at the same time into the state Senate. He's brought a uh, a piece of uh, a, a lawsuit against the Arkansas Department of Health. I'm a, I'm a plaintiff on that lawsuit because I feel that he's right in that, uh, you know, I think that the uh, the, the legislature needs to be involved now in determining whether the state should be opened uh, or closed. How do you feel about that? I agree with you. I think the lawsuit is a symptom of a, of another of, of the problem of lack of communication between the governor and the legislature. And they're both in the same uh, party. So I'm surprised by that. Um, and I, I lay the fault on both of the organization, the lack of leadership from the uh, the representatives, and uh, the lack of uh, the ability to communicate on the governor's side. And so I think I wouldn't have let that happen. I'm telling you that um, I know that's a cocky thing to say, but I wouldn't have let it happen. If, there's, if a world pandemic is not a reason to call up an emergency session of the House and Senate in, the, in Arkansas, then nothing is, you know? I mean, uh-huh. when it, does that make sense? That makes sense to me. I've been saying it all along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've just, I'm telling you, I wouldn't let it happen. That, that would have, that would have occurred. All right. Well, you make yourself comfortable. We'll be back. We'll talk some more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 17 minutes after 7, that guy that you're watching on uh, our Facebook Live broadcast, that is Bob Thomas. He is seeking your vote for District 32. Uh, That's downtown, runs out to Lake Maumel. I mean, that's a big district and a big rectangle uh, that you can go and, and make him a state senator. He's running against Clark Tucker, uh, and uh, they're trying to uh, fill the slot left open by Will Bond. I'll be back with more in a moment, but right now I've got to talk to you about P.I. Roofing. P.I. Roofing is out to uh, take care of your roof, protect your home from uh, the elements, keep the rain and the wind and the snow and the cold and all of that from uh, doing damage to the inside of your house. And uh, they don't call themselves the roof leak detectives for nothing. You know, you can get a leak and they can get through the, uh, the shingles and the felt and the wood and it can be in the back of the house and show up in the, in, in the middle of the house. Because it runs down those uh, those headers and stuff, and doesn't necessarily just drip straight down from the roof on the top of uh, your insulation, get it wet, and then get it wet on top of your uh, your ceiling. In you know, like for instance, in your bedroom, uh, it may show up in your living room or in your kitchen, and you got to be able to find it. And that's what they do so well at P.I. Roofing. That's why they call themselves Roof Leak Detectives. Uh, I use them religiously. Whenever I have a problem with my roof, and I've had a few, I've had my roof replaced by them after a a, a hailstorm we had up here in Cabot about nine or ten years ago, and they did a fantastic job on it then. I've had them back a few times. I had some flashing that was leaking around my uh, 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 fireplace. I uh, just used them uh, a few months ago because I had a bolt holding down uh, part of my uh, satellite dish on top of my house, uh, allowing water uh, to get into uh, my uh, 
uh, ceiling and, and, and causing a problem in my bedroom, and they fixed that for me. And I called this number. Let me give you a number I called. It's a secret number that I and everybody else has. All right? No, I don't get special treatment. I use the same number that you'll use to talk to the folks at PI Roofing. Call 707-3551. 707-3551. And they'll come out and give you the exact same great service they give me every time they show up at my house. Or you can visit them on piroofing.com. It's PI Roofing, your roof leak detectives. All right, 723 here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Our uh, guest is uh, Bob Thomas. He is running uh, for District 32 State Senate seat. Uh, he is running against Clark Tucker. And, uh, Bob, you, you made the statement in the last segment that there's a lot of differences between you and, uh, you know, the person who's you're running against. Why don't you name uh, uh, two of the major differences that you have with Clark Tucker? Well, one of the key issues is uh, tax reform. And I know that people are just rolling their eyes, a Republican that's talking about tax breaks or tax reform. But it's important that we uh, that we don't always just constantly add on taxes. Somebody somewhere sometime has to start cutting some of these things. And one of the things that I want to personally take uh, a shot at is the personal property tax that we pay every year on our cars boats and trailers uh i think it's just ridiculous that we you know we pay the used car tax which has been a big issue over the years and no one's ever done anything about it everybody always complains about it um you know that the, there's an exemption i think we should it, right now it's like 3500 dollars or something like that that you don't have to pay tax underneath that and i think that should be raised um so the personal property tax that we pay every year a lot of states have gotten rid of that that's an old an old throwback from history where uh, we used to just tax those things every year and there's a lot of new taxes that uh, that we've already implemented uh, internet tax and that are point of sales taxes that are easy to collect and they're not so um, tyrannical I just think it's a sort of a it's a it's a tyrannical sort of a, a tax because you just it's a constant thing that just never goes away and so I'm for eliminating that that's gonna be a big difference um, the, we've already talked about the education and then the law and order. I'm definitely – I'm a former a reserve police officer. I've been trained as a cop, and um, I I want to support the police, and I definitely don't want to do any defunding of the police. That's for sure. And um, and I think we need to uh, – we need to have safe – that's what you hire government for is to have safe – city and for people to be able to thrive and so that's super important to me and i i think that um my experience will help me guide me into making proper decisions for the safety of our people are are you worried that you might find yourself on the uh the other side of the coin from the uh, elected governor of the state because you know he's trying to to pass a, a tax 
using issue one that would become part of the Constitution. He's saying we need it for roads. Uh, it was a tax that was supposed to sunset, and he's trying to get the people to to vote this in on them on themselves. I'm telling people not to vote on it. I don't want to see another tax become part of the Constitution. We already have a tax for the Arkansas Game and Fish that's part of our Constitution. I, I I'm against that. Uh, what say you, uh, Bob? How would you how would you view that as a, as a state senator? You know these these things just smell bad when you have a um, you go through all these efforts to create some tax that you say is going to end at a certain time, and then you extend it and make it permanent. To me, that just kind of it's sort of foul play, um, in my opinion. However, we do have an important job to have the the roads, and uh, you know it can be kind of embarrassing when you drive into Arkansas from other states. And you see the condition of the roads compared to other states. And for me, I, I'm definitely pro-business. And so I want um, companies to move in here and make sure that they set up shop in Arkansas because of the, the solid people that we have here. But we got to have good roads. I mean, the key to one of the things that uh, Memphis and Tennessee and this part of the country is transportation. And so the, the transportation industry is huge. And the, so the good roads are important. You know, this is a tough one, David. It's a you got to kind of hold your nose on this one because it stinks to high heaven. But sometimes you have to do those things. I, I do think it's sort of a trick where they say this is just going to be used for roads, and you know the other money is moved around somewhere else. So I'm I'm not sure. I, I, that's a hard one for me. Well, what about uh, you know governing and, and as far as going in and. Uh, the gentleman who brought forth that tax also tried to get the uh, the state legislature uh, legislature and the governor at that time uh, to get together and take like uh, the tax that was on batteries and things of that nature and direct that money that was being used to take care of our automobiles and things of that nature and apply it to our roads and and come up. I mean, that money generates a lot. Of tax dollars, and instead of just dropping it into the general fund, do you think maybe we should put that against uh, against taxes? I've got one minute left before rush, so uh, I I'll ask you to hurry. I totally agree with what you're saying because you're you're what you're saying is a move of something that's a that is a generated by cars that are driving on the roads, and that does make sense to me. So I think there are other ways to fund. The highway is kind of what you're saying. Is there a better way to do this other than adding an amendment or adding uh, a clause to our state constitution? I agree with you. I think we, I think we need to get into the business of eliminating taxes, not increasing taxes and re- reducing the size of the government. I'm a small government guy, and so I think it needs to be efficient and effective, and I don't think it is. I think it's fat. It needs to be trimmed, and we need to cut taxes. All right. I got to jump in and we got to take a break. Can you stay with us a little longer or do you got to get to work? Yeah, I can stay here. All right. Stay right where you're at. Right now, we're going to go listen and see what Rush has for us on the Dave Ellswick Show. And 25 minutes till 8 o'clock. And uh, don't forget that if you're thinking about, uh, you know, a ring, uh, uh, you know, a, a custom designed ring for 
that significant other come uh, Christmas time. Now's the time to be getting over and talking to Eric at uh, the owner of Hillcrest Designer Jewelry and and get it in the, into the mill so they got plenty of time to work on it. Find the diamonds or colored stones or you know that you want in it so that they get it exactly how you want it to take care to show the the personality of the person that you're purchasing it for. I mean, I've got a lot of people that show up on my show that have used uh, the, you know, Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. I mean, Joe from Joe's Garage. We've got uh, uh, Alan Kerr used to be uh, a state uh, rep and then went on to become the, the treasurer uh, here for the state. Not treasurer, pardon me, the insurance commissioner for the state. And uh, he's bought a a ring for his wife because what Eric does is so unique that his shop is the place to go. You get a great price. You get great talent. They've got the machine right there, a computer that they can lay out the, uh, the, the, you know, the design for you, this custom design. And when it comes to diamonds, for instance, uh, there's nobody who touches Eric. Eric's going to tell you, come to his shop and buy a diamond from him. He's going to save you probably thousands of dollars, just the way it is. Located at 3000 Cavanaugh Boulevard right here in Little Rock. Uh, They open up at 10 a.m., and uh, his phone number is 501-246-3655. If you've got Christmas as the time you're going to buy your next uh, ring for a significant other and you want something custom-made, Call Eric today, 501-246-3655. That's Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. All right, back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. In the studio, Bob Thomas. I've asked Bob to stay for one more segment. Uh, He is running for the District 32 seat in the state Senate uh, against Clark Tucker. Uh, It's a seat that came open. It was held by Will Bond, and uh, Will decided that uh, he wanted to go on and do other things, and so uh, he decided to to get out of politics, basically, is what he he decided to do. I have to have him on again sometime and have him uh, uh, talk uh, as well. Uh, Will and I... uh, do find some areas where we can work together. Education was one of those areas up in Jacksonville uh, when he was working uh, hard. Uh, uh, well, not Jacksonville, but out in Maumel, when Maumel was trying to be uh, separate uh, from the uh, special school district. And uh, they, he worked hard at that. And uh, I thought that uh, Maumel didn't have to be part of the Pulaski Special School District. And... Uh, he succeeded, and uh, that was a great thing for the people in in Maumel. Now, Bob, is, is, are there any issues that you see? I mean, I I I look for areas that you can reach across the aisle, but things have become so contentious anymore that it's hard to to work across the aisle, isn't it? Yes, you're right. It is, but um, you know, there's some things that. Uh, a good example is a UAMS, you know, the hospital um, that is in the heart of this district. And it's so important that we, as government officials, if, if I do get elected, we continue to support that hospital and keep uh, working towards national recognition for the, their cancer center and for the other 
their orthopedic department and the other parts of the hospital and all the hospitals that are in Arkansas. It, they're a vital part, and that's something we all can agree on that we all can work together on. And the health care uh, issue is a big deal, but I'm specifically talking about the business of the hospitals. And they are such a vital part of our communities throughout Arkansas. And that um, and in, there are big employers in a lot of these counties and states. And so that's where you can reach across the aisle, work together, uh, and and really come up with solutions that take care of the people and proper use of government funds. What are, what are let's see, is St. Vincent in your, your district? Yes. And, uh, is Arkansas Surgical Hospital in your it district? Is, it is not. It is not. No. Uh, I mean, but when you look at them, uh, and, and, and they're not your typical hospital. They're owned by some doctors. And uh, they take it on the chin from the federal government. Uh, are you going to try to work with our, uh, our, our national senators, you know, Bozeman, Cotton, uh, work with District 2 Congressman uh, French Hill, and, and try to make it where they can expand if they want to without being told they can't? Because they're owned by doctors and they're not uh, what nonprofit organization or whatever. Yes, that's a ridiculous sort of situation. So I'm not sure everybody understands the nuts and bolts of all of that. But what happens is the reimbursement rates for each procedure that the government sets, the Medicare reimbursement rates, are based on the per capita income and the kind of the financial well-being of the of the area. And that there's some some weird Ouija board they use to decide. And so what you're basically referring to, too, is that the the lowest reimbursement rates in the nation are physician-owned hospitals in Arkansas. And so they have to work with a lot less over there at Arkansas Surgical Hospital, and that's that's your point. And then they also control very, uh, just a, God, tyrannical control of these physician-owned hospitals they got to let some of that go they got to stop regulating it's such a a a ridiculous amount to 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 free those guys to do other things is it'll make the hospitals competitive and that will bring prices down and services will go up and it's all good I i don't know why they're so uh, harsh on the rules for those uh, for that particular example that you gave expansion of a hospital for example yeah because they're not uh, controlled by the government enough i mean blanche lincoln was senator uh when they visited that particular legislation uh before and blanche lincoln voted against their interests and uh, they have not been able to expand, and they're one of the best surgical hospitals in the state of Arkansas. It's really, it's really a, a, a sad story. They're actually uh, one of the best them. in the nation, Dave. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they're very, very good. They, yep. they just really are good. All right, we, we've only got you for just a couple of more moments. What is it that you want as you walk away from this interview uh, with me here at 101.1 FM, The Answer? What do you want the voters to remember? Well, I want them to know that um, I will vote my conscience, and I, I'm not going to just side with the governor or side with my particular political party. Um, I'm going to vote. I'm going to use my experiences that I have developed for over the years as a police officer, as a soldier, 
and as a father um, and a business guy in this area to make great uh, decisions and work hard to to be a a, a proper um, custodian of your money. And that's that's what I want to do. All right. Do you got a website people can go to and sure. read all your position papers and stuff? Yep. It's uh, www.bobthomas4ar.com. Bob Thomas 4, the number 4, okay. ar.com. All right. Bob Thomas 4, the number 4, ar.com. Bob, thank you very much for being part of the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, we'll look at perhaps trying to have you on again uh, before the election. Of course, I'm sure Clark Tucker's people are going to give me a call after hearing you, and they'll want to come on uh, with me as well. Clark has been on my show before. Uh, if he wants to come on, you know, he's he's open to come on and discuss the issues uh, as well. But, Bob Thomas, thank you. And when you see Missy, tell her I said hi, would you please? Will do. Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much. All right. Let's get a break in. We got more coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. Uh, we're about ten minutes away from eight o'clock, so if you got to be at work at eight and you're twelve minutes out, you might want to nudge it up just a little bit right now so you get there on time. Uh, time. Uh, story just coming out: the number of Americans applying for state unemployment benefits came down again uh, last week. Uh, indicating the pace of layoffs uh, is, uh, you know, going down as the economy slowly recovers from the COVID-19 pandemic. The latest jobless claims figures from the Labor Department, which cover the week ending September 26th, show that 837,000 workers sought aid last week. Uh, that's about four times the pre-crisis level, and that's understandable. Look, uh, our economy is not what it was pre-crisis level. I get cra- I, I go crazy when people, you know, say, "Well, look at the economy." Well, everybody wanted to shut the economy down, and the president shut it down. All the the medical experts who supposedly he's supposed to listen to told him to shut it down, and he did. And now some people want to take pot shots at him because he shut the economy down. I won't mention any names, but he used to be a vice president of the United States. Uh, Economists surveyed by uh, uh, Refitiv expected 850,000 new claims. Last week's figure was revised upward by 3,000. The number of people who are continuing to receive unemployment benefits fell to 11.7 million, a decline of 980,000 from the previous week. Roughly 1 million unemployed Americans have been seeking aid each week for the past six months. Now, let's understand something, something that is happening now this month. Uh, that will make a big difference in some of these people going back to work is that extra $600 that uh, unemployed people were getting extra from what uh, they were getting from their state through federal uh, aid is uh, coming to an end. Uh, In states like Arkansas and Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia and things of that nature, getting an extra $600 a week or $2,400 a month was a significant amount of money. 
And uh, why would you go back to work if it meant that you were going to lose that money and take a job that paid less? And so, uh, you know, there's, I think there's still people hanging on out there, but they're going to come back uh, to work, although they're going to come back to work for less uh, because uh, they're going to lose that money. Uh, this is down from the peak of more than 6 million claims in late March. Uh, does remain above the 200,000 reported in February before the pandemic. And again, it's understandable. I mean, you, you, you're talking apples and oranges when you talk about that. And uh, until we get this economy completely reopened again, uh, it's going to drag. It's putting a drag. When you got California still virtually completely shut down, when you got places like the city of New York completely shut down, uh, you've got problems with the employment, and you're going to continue having problems with that. Uh, Disney, by the way, laid off 28,000 workers, mostly in its two U.S. theme parks in California. And in Florida, more losses in California uh, than in uh, uh, Florida. I think it's interesting. They've, they've lost so many jobs with Disney, where Universal Studios there in, uh, in Florida seems to be going pretty much like gangbusters. I'm excited because in uh, December I'm going to spend uh, a weekend uh, at the uh, Universal Studios in a very special event that uh, we've already paid for and we're set up for. Uh, Disney laid off 28,000 workers. Uh, United and American Airlines sent furlough notices to 32,000 employees after federal COVID aid expired uh, to their uh, particular companies. And Royal Dutch Shell said it planned to cut between seven and 9,000 jobs by the end of 2022. Now, that goes back to, uh, you know, how much oil is the world going to use? And they're not using as much right now. And so you, you end up with a little surplus uh, now, uh, not as much as what you had a couple of months back, because a couple of months back, everybody was was pumping gangbusters. And now they've cut back on that. But there's still uh, going to be, uh, you know, extra oil out there. And, uh, you know, they don't need as many people to be out there uh, doing the fracking and things of that nature. The data comes one day before the release of the more closely watched September jobs report, which is predicted to show the U.S. economy added 850,000 jobs last month. That's down uh, a little bit from August's gain of 1.4 million. Analysts anticipate unemployment will edge lower to uh, 8.2% from its current rate of 8.4%. Now, with said of all of that, what it shows is that the economy is getting healthy, not as fast as a lot of us would want it to. It is a V-shaped recovery, though. I mean, when uh, they shut it down, it went straight down into the dumpster, all right? It went into the toilet. Now that we've got uh, it open and, uh, somewhat, uh, it's v and straight back up again. And if we could get some of these other states that are overreacting, I believe, 
to the COVID-19 virus and let people go back to work, then, uh, you know, the, uh, the economy will even get healthier. And for people who say, Dave, you can't make a decision of, of money over health, I'm not. You can make a decision that you do both, that you, have, you take care of health. We do that at the radio station we're at and keep businesses open which we've done at our radio station as well. It can be, both can be done. It's not an either or type thing. The only time it becomes either or is when politics come into it and governors and mayors are, uh, you know, wanting to try to hurt the current administration. All right, when we come back, uh, we got a special guest with us at 805 and uh, we're going to be talking Pete Sepp. Uh, Pete's going to join us at 8.05, just so you'll know. And we're going to talk to him uh, about uh, our, uh, our health care system here in the United States. Uh, Pete uh, has done a lot of uh, good work. Uh, he uh, is with the uh, uh, NTU. Pre- he's the NTU president and Coalition Against Socialized Medicine Leader, and uh, he'll talk about why what, uh, you know, the vice president, former vice president wants to do is probably the worst thing that we uh, we can do. So uh, he'll be he'll be talking about all of that here on uh, the Dave Ellswick show. So I'm looking forward to having him on with us. So Heidi, get him set up during the uh, news break that's coming up next. And then after the news, we'll be back again with uh, with Pete here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, that's going to be at 6 o'clock tonight, though. All right. If you're on uh, Facebook Live, you'll be able to listen. Uh, if you listen on the radio, we go to another program now. You'll have to listen at 6 o'clock. So just keep that in mind. It's coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Welcome to the uh, 6 o'clock 
hour of the Dave Ellswick Show, which, as uh, I've told you in the past, has grown into being one of the most listened to hours of my show. Uh, as you're going home for work, uh, typically, some of you are going to work, but most of you going home. And uh, we have some great guests on during this hour, and today is no exception. Pete Sepp's going to be with us. He's the NTU president and coalition against socialized medicine. Uh, he, this is the guy, he's the leader, uh, and he's going to tell you why, I think, particularly why our uh, former vice president, Joe Biden, what he wants to do is bad news and why the Democratic Party, what they want to do is even worse. So, uh, Pete, welcome to the show. Thanks for being part of the Dave Ellswick show today. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the NTU Coalition Against Socialized Medicine. Of course, National Taxpayers Union is a nonprofit, nonpartisan citizen group. We're celebrating 51st year in existence, working for lower taxes, less wasteful government spending, and accountability from public officials at all levels. And so when a number of organizations, um, think tanks, advocacy groups, legal centers, decided to gather together and create the Coalition Against Socialized Medicine, NTU, my organization, was a natural fit to, to be a member of that coalition because socialized medicine represents all of the worst traits of big government. It means higher taxes for the middle class, not just the wealthy. It means a whole lot of government spending, and oftentimes that spending is wasted on programs that don't actually improve public health. We can see that in Medicaid, for example, all of the improper payments going on. That would be writ large in a socialized medicine system. Talk about accountability from public officials. Well, socialized medicine doesn't have that kind of accountability. That's why you see the long lines, the waiting times for common treatments that we take for granted in the United States and being provided in a timely fashion not being provided that way in countries that currently have socialized medicine to the north in Canada or the United Kingdom, many other countries. And so the Coalition Against Socialized Medicine consists of about 20 organizations, um, many of them familiar names like American Conservative Union. Uh, we're all involved here trying to get the message out to the American people that Going further toward government-run health care is a bad idea. And unfortunately, Joe Biden, even though he was saying in the presidential debate earlier this week that he doesn't propose, he doesn't support socialized medicine, actually has a plan that is moving us in that direction. And his running mate, Kamala Harris, certainly supports socialized medicine. She even said so on the campaign trail when she was running for president. Well, listen, the, the Democratic Party has for years, I mean, we can go all the way back. I know clearly you can go back to uh, the time of Harry Truman 
and see that the, the Democrat Party has wanted to have socialized medicine uh, here in the United States. Uh, we're really seeing a push for it happening uh, since Obama was elected president. And, uh, you know, the Democrat Party is trying to take over the health care system of the United States. And I always ask my listeners this question, Pete, if the if the government can tax you enough that they control your wallet and then they can control your health care and tell you when you can be taken care of and when you can't be taken care of, don't they just control your life in general? And that's something that people, I think, kind of get. I don't know if they completely get it. Yeah, I'm afraid there are many instances where folks say, well, what would be the problem with something like Medicare for all? And after all, Medicare already provides a decent level of health care for seniors. Why not just expand that to everybody? Well, there are a lot of problems with that, just starting with the cost. As you say, this puts more money in government's hands under government's control. Uh, Bernie Sanders was saying that uh, Medicare for all, which he espouses, would cost about $1.4 trillion per year. Well, there are much more credible estimates now that put it way, way higher than that, $2.4 trillion, even $3.5 trillion a year. To put it's that always that perspective, way. Yeah, and, and to put that into perspective... You're looking at an increase in annual federal spending, and I'm not talking about federal spending now with all of the COVID-19 response. I'm talking about federal spending before. Uh, we're, we're easily doubling federal outlays if you take the high-end estimates of Medicare for all into account. Um, if you want to take the low-end estimates, we're probably increasing it between 40 and 50% of federal outlays. That is an unsustainable model that depends primarily on the top tenth of income earners to deliver most of its revenue. It means we're going to face things like much higher payroll taxes, value-added taxes on everything we buy, all sorts of other taxes that are going to hit the middle class. And again, Joe Biden is saying he only wants to offer a public option. In other words, the government will set up its own plan to compete with private sector plans. Well, the problem is when government has basically um, an unending source of money, meaning tax dollars, the pockets of the American people, it can write its own rules and regulations, it can spend what it wants, well, the government option is going to become the only option in this country because they will make it so attractive that private companies won't be able to compete against it. That's the way this is going to sneak its nose under the tent, so to speak, with socialized medicine. Well, they always over they look the the old saying is that you 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 under you know say something you're going to underperform and then you overperform when you get going. That's not the way the government goes. The government over uh, says we're going to overperform and then they underperform. I mean, if we go back to Lyndon Baines Johnson uh, for Medicaid and Medicare, basically, and look at those programs, and they said it was going to be a few bill, you know, just it was going to be several billion dollars a year. 
you can see that it costs more than that now. We're over a trillion dollars as far as that program goes. It never comes in at cost that they, they tell you. It always costs more. Always. Yes. Yes, it absolutely does. And the estimates, when you think of the times when Medicare and Medicaid were created under LBJ, as you say, and actuaries at that time were projecting 20, 30 years ahead, you're right. They were saying, well, Medicare and Medicaid combined might run 30, 40, 50 billion dollars by the time uh-huh. we're in the 1980s or 1990s. And it was 10 times that amount uh, at that point. It's now just astronomically more than what actuaries ever thought these programs would cost. And again, questions keep arising about the quality of care being provided, especially under Medicaid. The parts of Medicare that tend to work the best are in Part D, where you have private sector prescription drug insurance plans competing with each other for customers' dollars. You're not going to get that under a single-payer system. Yeah, yeah, that that doesn't happen. Look, I I served time in the military. I understood socialized medicine a long time ago, and now I'm 67, and... uh, Guess what? I'm on Medicare now, so I'm getting uh, more government health care as well. And uh, thankfully for myself, I'm able to afford a little extra money, and I have a great supplemental program uh, that helps me get better care than some other people get. But I've got to pay that. I've got to pay that money, and that's the way socialized medicine is. Even with the VAT taxes and everything else in Canada and in uh, European countries. Yes, yes, and there's this notion advanced by uh, many pollsters that the American people are really attracted to this idea, and of course, the concept of. Medicare for all, if you mention that to a person on the street, can mean many things. It might mean to people that, well, anyone who needs Medicare, who's a senior, ought to be able to get it. Uh, Others might think, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Everybody should have access to this program. Start drilling down in the polls, though, uh, the ones taken by Kaiser Family Foundation, for example, and support for that concept drops off precipitously the more you ask detailed questions about things like are you willing to give up the existence of private insurance for medicare for all that's what medicare for all would do do you still support it well that cuts about 20 points into the margin of support Uh ask people if they're willing to pay higher taxes out of their own pockets not just wealthy people's pockets for medicare for all Support drops off further to the point where it can be barely 20, 30 percent of the population that supports such a thing, depending on the kinds of truthful questions you ask people about what they're willing to give up under Medicare for all. And you will give up many things in order to have a system like that. Our guest, Pete Sepp, he is the uh, president uh, with NTU and the Coalition Against Socialized Medicine. He's going to be with us to the bottom of the hour. We appreciate that he's taking the time out to talk to us today. Yeah, Pete, when, did, when in America did we start getting uh, the, the American people 
get to the point that they hated rich people so much that rich isn't millionaires anymore. Uh, according to the vice president, it's $400,000 or above. When did we start getting this class enviism that we've got here in our country? Yeah, I, I think some of it has to do with the fact that the mainstream media is often putting out falsehoods about the so-called incidents of the tax burden. This is stuff that makes people's eyes glaze over, but it's important to remember. If you include, for example, the payroll taxes and income taxes and excise taxes, all the federal taxes that people pay, the top 1% of earners in this country pay an effective tax rate of over 25%. That's according to the Congressional Budget Office. If you take a look At uh, the bottom half, though, uh, that percentage shrinks to single digits as far as their tax burden goes. Now, that's not to say that uh, there aren't differences among individuals who might find themselves uh, in various income categories. That happens a lot, especially among the very, very wealthy, the multimillionaires and billionaires who are able to utilize various parts of the tax code to minimize their tax burdens. It's not illegal, but it is a product of a system that's very complicated. I think that makes a better case for simplifying the tax system rather than just raising rates on people, especially those at this magical $400,000 level that Joe Biden's talking about. You know, in our income tax system today, many, many small business owners file and declare their profits subject to income tax on a personal 1040 tax form. They're called pass-through entities. $400,000 of small business income is not an unusual position for a sole proprietor, an owner of a business with no employees even, to find Uh himself in. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the the, uh, former vice president doesn't explain those type of things to the American people. Uh, They depend on uh, us here on uh, conservative media to to give you the whole story. Pete's going to be with us as we continue. We need to get in our, our break here, Pete. Then we'll come back and finish up our conversation on the Dave Ellswick Show. Our guest this segment of the Dave Ellswick Show in the 6 o'clock hour is the uh, NTU president and Coalition Against Socialized Medicine leader, Pete Sepp. And I hope you heard our first segment. It was very informative. It's uh, information that you need to know. And, uh, of course, you can always go back to our website at, uh, you know, 1011FM, and get the podcast. Uh, if, uh, you know, you can go back and, and listen to the Facebook Live that we have uh, that's been recorded and listen to it there. I'm going to ask you to share this. Uh, with your friends. It's important that you share this information with your friends because the the national media is not giving you this. The national media uh, will give you stories that they set up that tell you how great this is. They don't tell you uh, A through Z. They pick like uh, D through, uh, you know, F and give you that part of the story and uh, advocate uh, that everybody needs to have health care. Well, 
they don't talk about cost, Pete. They don't get into the, the, to the, the you know, some of the minutia. And I know that that glazes people's eyes, but they got to understand it's their pocketbooks that are going to get picked. That's right. And there are consequences to all of these actions. I mean, take a look at the calls, for example, to impose price controls on prescription drugs. Uh, I know that uh, Kamala Harris uh, sponsored legislation that would create a federal entity, a board that would judge what a fair price is for a drug and establish that as the ceiling. Uh, There have been other attempts, regrettably, by President Trump to try to compare U.S. drug prices with those around the world and say, "Okay, if you go above this benchmark for the worldwide price, uh, you can't charge it. And those kinds of proposals will certainly deliver some kind of immediate benefit to folks in the form of some cheaper drugs. But what they're not going to tell you is that's going to slow discoveries of future drugs. It's going to squeeze that cost bubble onto somebody else like private insurance plans or employers. So, you know, the benefits of these proposals are real, but so are the costs. And we're not hearing about the costs, which far outweigh those benefits. So how, why is it Americans cannot understand that there is no such thing as a free lunch? They're told it, and, that they, and then they swallow it. But the bottom line is, if you give somebody something free, somebody's paying for it. Yes, that's exactly the case. And I think most voters... If they are given time to consider it, if they're presented with all the costs as well as the benefits of a given proposal, they're smart enough to figure that out. Look, the American people don't have a terribly high level of trust in federal officials of any political party. If we just give them the facts and give them the time to evaluate those facts, I think most people will say, wait a minute, this sounded good initially. But there are too many problems here for us to embrace it in our country. And I'm hopeful that if we keep doing efforts like you and I are doing right here, that message is going to get through to people. Yeah. Is it hard for people to understand that you can only go so far with this kind of stuff? Because if you go too far, you go broke, just like your your regular budget at your house would go broke. Uh, yeah. The government wants you to think they have an unlimited amount of money, but they don't. That's right. Even the U.S. government has a limit on its creditworthiness. We actually tested that in 2011 when there was a budget impasse, and it looked like uh, the United States might uh, be shaky on some of its debt obligations, and one of the three credit rating agencies downgraded the U.S. sovereign credit rating. That can happen again from all three rating agencies and pretty quickly if we overborrow. Nobody knows when a country reaches its tipping point where its credit is no longer good. And we don't ever want to test that level. We don't ever want to come near it. And we have to be far more careful about avoiding these tax spend and borrow policies that have occurred under presidents and congresses of both parties, I have to say. Oh, yeah. Now, final final piece here. We're down to about a minute to go, Pete. And that is, 
if the interest rate goes up on the debt, we're going to pay so much money on debt, we won't have a lot of money to pay on other things. That's why some people say that's our biggest national defense issue, and I agree with it. Yeah, it absolutely is. And again, things might be just fine now with interest rates, but we cannot predict the future, and those rates can go up like lightning. If that happens, so will the burdens of servicing our national debt, and we will be in a lot of trouble in the blink of an eye before we know it. Let me jump in and just say, give us a website that people can go and get information from your organization. They can visit us at NTU, our initials for National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org. All right. Thanks, Pete. We appreciate your time. Uh, it, it, it's, it's such a sobering conversation. People don't like to have it because they don't like to hear bad news. But I can just tell you, you know, socialized medicine is bad news. Thanks, Pete. We'll talk to you later. Back with you here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show, our 6 o'clock hour uh, segment. And our thanks to Pete Sepp for being with us. Again, uh, go to their website, N-T-U. That's the letters N-T-U dot O-R-G. And National Taxpayers Union. And a uh, lot of information there and a lot of uh, pertinent information to help you understand uh, this discussion. Look, it's not good enough to say, well, you know, they got more money than God. They got more money than they know what to do with. Let's take their money. You know, I have I have such a problem with that. I have look, I have discussions with this within my own family uh, about it. They, oh, come on, Dad, they're worth a hundred million dollars. Okay, so you draw a line at a hundred million, or where do you draw the line at? I mean, that's. That's where you come to. I mean, right right now with the, 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 the vice president of the United States who's running for president, he's drawn the line at $400,000. Before that, if I'm not mistaken, President Obama had gotten this down to $230,000, $240,000. I mean, it's, it's, a moving, it's a moving line. It doesn't get set there. And I don't think it's right to punish people because they're successful. I mean, I I always think it's interesting when somebody says, well, you know, they need to share some of their blessing, basically, is what they say. They they these people have have more money than they know what to do with. They uh, whether they were lucky enough to be born into a family with a lot of money or uh, they uh, came up with a, an idea during uh, the dot com time uh, that has blown up uh, like Facebook and uh, now it's worth you know billions of dollars, and the people are worth billions of dollars. You know, who are you to say they need to share their blessing? You know, if you look at it from that angle, then you, who are middle class here in the United States, you, you need to be giving more money to the people who don't have uh, as much money as you do that are underneath you. Uh, the government should determine how much more they need to take from you so that they can give it to somebody else. That's not the way it should work. You should have the say in how you're going to uh, divvy up your finances. At least that's how I see it. You might see it a different way. I'm just saying that's the way that I see it. It's uh, 8, not 8, 6 in the evening, and we're talking about these uh, uh, 
things. There's an exclusive story out on on Fox that you should take a look at. Uh, Republicans uh, attorneys general from across the United States has sent a letter to the Senate today urging them to confirm President Trump's Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, addressing, quote, those who believe the Senate should not hold a hearing, unquote, in their letter, which was obtained by Fox News. They quoted a similar letter that they said Democratic Attorney General sent in support of Merrick Garland's nomination in 2016. Quote, the Constitution clearly sets out the process for filling a Supreme Court vacancy. The president has a duty to make a nomination. Now, that's the Republicans quoting from this 2016 letter, which was signed by the AGs from 19 states, including California and New York. Uh, The Republicans went on to quote the Democrats, who said that the Senate, quote, has the responsibility to consider and approve, advise and consent, or disapprove the nomination. You know, either approve or disapprove, confirm or not confirm. While simple, this is the law and it should be followed, unquote. Thursday's message to the Senate, signed by 22 state attorneys general, also used the Democrats' reference to historical precedents for confirming a a justice in an election year. Quote, indeed, as the 2016 letter makes clear, since 1900, Six justices have been confirmed during election years, including Justice Anthony Kennedy, who was confirmed in the final year of the Reagan administration. Democrats are insisting that the Republican Senate majority should hold off on the confirmation process so that the winner of November's presidential election would get to nominate the next justice. Well, the president doesn't stop being a president. The president's still the president. And he still has all of the powers vested from the Constitution in his office, which means he gets to nominate to the Supreme Court. In 2016, it was Republicans who made the argument and refused to hold hearings for Garland, who was nominated by President Obama during his final year in office. Now, the the Republicans who said that Obama didn't have the right to make, make a nomination was as wrong then as uh, the Democrats are wrong now. The Constitution of the United States vests in the, uh, the executive branch the nominating uh, procedure for the Supreme Court through the president. That is his constitutional duty. So Obama wasn't wrong in nominating. I never said he was wrong in nominating. I just said that the Senate had the right to not take up uh, the the nomination if they didn't want to. Uh, Because they're the ones that advise and consent, and they're the ones that can confirm or deny. Uh, Republicans are claiming that this year is different because the Senate and White House are controlled by the same party. President Trump claimed during Tuesday's debate that if Democrats were in control today, they would confirm a nominee. Quote, the Democrats, they wouldn't even think about not doing it. The only difference is they'd try to do it faster, Trump said. There's no way they would give it up. 
The Republican AGs did not just make their case for why the Senate should move forward. They also lauded Barrett as someone they believe will make an excellent associate justice, citing her academic and professional credentials, as well as her unwavering commitment to a judicial philosophy that prioritizes restraint, humility, and respect for the rule of law. And uh, people were quoting on this and uh, saying things like, just hurry up and confirm her. Uh, Others saying Trump is at least three times better than Obama. Three nominations for Nobel Nobel Prize, three support uh, justices. Trust in Biden is like a sewer, does not stink. And then last but not least, of ones I wanted to read, Amy, make sure that you have clarified that fight you had uh, in the third grade. Going back to, of course, uh, what are they going to bring up from her past during the confirmation hearings? Evidently, confirmation and hearings will start week after next, and they will start on a Monday, and uh, Lindsey Graham, Senator Graham, is saying that they'll be done uh, on uh, coming up on uh, the uh, uh, Friday of that week, and then they it, uh, they they figure that it's going to be confirmed. She'll be not confirmed. She'll be uh, voted out of committee and go to the Senate uh, to be uh, either confirmed or rejected on uh, a vote there in the Senate. Now, how long it takes them to get around to taking the vote is anybody's idea because you're talking about, you know, they're going to every every senator is going to want to say something. You know that. And how much time are they going to give every senator uh, to say what they want to say? That's always the question. Uh, We'll see what Lindsey Graham says about uh, about that. Fox News Channel's Tucker Carlson uh, last night made the statement that uh, Trump won't win re-election because he's calling uh, the vice president senile. Uh, Tucker Carlson uh, broke down the presidential debate on Tuesday night between President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden. According to Carlson, the debate offered the public a better indication of what it will take for a candidate to win. However, he also said it foreshadowed what the left would do under Biden to strengthen its grasp on power. Let me just read this little piece out of the transcript. Holy smokes, it makes it was that intense. So what did we learn last night at the debate? Well, America deserves better. That's the first and most obvious thing we learned. All kinds of people said that today, and they were right. This is a great country. The most decent people in the world live here. We ought to be proud of the fact that we're Americans, proud of our culture, proud of our history. Most of us want it all to continue. We want the nation our grandchildren inherit to be as stable and as happy as the country we grew up in. But last night's debate gave us a little confidence that will, gave us little confidence that that will happen. It was a painful, highly depressing 90 minutes. And that's as far as I'm going to read because it goes to the point of what I've been saying. 
You go on Facebook very often. You go on Twitter very often. You read what people say to each other now. I mean, what the president and what the vice president said to each other uh, during the debate pales, pales in what people say to each other on Facebook. And the way we disparage our fellow, uh, you know, uh, Americans. I mean, we call them every name in the book except, I guess, our friend or our fellow American. Uh, we just get in there and go for the jugular and, and rip out their, uh, their throat. Now, who started that? I can pretty much readily say the left started it. The right has uh, now gotten involved in it. And uh, what you saw Tuesday night is nothing more than a reflection of where we are as a country. Now, I firmly, firmly believe that. Uh, We are, I'm just telling you, a huge, huge, huge divided country. And uh, we don't talk to each other in a respectful manner for the most part. Again, I go back. If people can sit behind their keyboards and don't have to face somebody face to face, they'll say anything. They'll make any kind of disparaging remark. And they'll do the same thing on Twitter. I I guess it's, uh, to be honest, it can be even worse on, uh, on Twitter, although... On Twitter now, you got the left and the cancel culture going in there and telling people that they can't be part of Twitter because they don't uh, jump uh, on the uh, left's bandwagon. So, you know, this is uh, things that we got to understand that what we're seeing on television uh, is not just the, you know, some some writers or some uh, journalists saying, here's America, uh, when we're not doing things right. It's uh, basically, if you look at Facebook especially, uh, it is a reflection of where we are uh, with the people uh, in this country and how they they feel about all of that. All right, we're out of time uh, during this segment. I'll come back, finish up. Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom has signed a law creating a task force to consider how slavery reparations would be distributed in California. I got that story for you next here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Final segment for this edition of the Dave Ellswick Show for a Thursday. Hey, tomorrow on the Friday edition, uh, Robert Steinbach and Chris Colbert would both be with us, uh, lawyers and uh, legal professor uh, Steinbach, and then, uh, uh, you know, a, a lawyer for engineering claims and things of that nature, Chris Corbett. And then uh, Matt Smith will join us in the final hour, or a half hour, talk about what you can do this weekend to go see a movie. I'm going this weekend. I'm going uh, Friday night, and I'm going to go see Tenet. I've been wanting to see it, and uh, I can do it Friday night, and thus I will go Friday night. All right, final couple of stories for you today. California, the uh, area of fruit, nuts, and flakes uh, out on the West Coast, continues to live up to that moniker. 
uh, Democratic governor, uh, Gavin Newsom of California, signed a law establishing a task force to study how slavery reparations could be distributed, uh, making it the first state to make the move towards potentially compensating black residents. That according to numerous sources on Wednesday. Now, you want to hear the left squeal about something like this? Here's how you do it. Uh, If you were the governor to say, uh, we will, you know, go in and confiscate uh, the, uh, the money made by overpaid actresses and actors and use that money uh, for reparations to be distributed. And, man, you would hear the screams. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, the nine-person task force will study how reparations could be awarded and who would be eligible, giving, quote, special consideration for African Americans who are descendants of persons enslaved in the United States, the law says. Uh, The legislation was authored by Assemblywoman Shirley Weber, a Democrat representing San Diego, who is chair of California's Legislative Black Caucus. Hundreds of years of, this is quoting her now, hundreds of years of racial discrimination in the United States have left many African Americans still disadvantaged in terms of poverty, homelessness, unemployment, the racial wealth gap, and other indicators of economic and educational opportunity, said the Assemblywoman, who introduced the bill in a statement. While the law doesn't commit to any specific payment, it establishes a task force that would study the impact of slavery on black people in California and make recommendations to the legislature about what kind of compensation should be provided and what form it should take, that according to NBC. Now, I got a question. Is this just going to be about black people? I mean, out in California, if you look at uh, the Chinese Americans that were out there, many of them were held in abject uh, slavery and uh, were kept under, uh, you know, their own form of Jim Crow laws uh, out there to keep the, uh, you know, the Chinaman from uh, making his way in the world. What about Hispanics? Isn't that a problem out in California as well? I mean, where does this stop is the question I'm asking you. How are you going to stop this? Where are you going to draw the line? Is it going to just be a a black situation or will it be black, Hispanics, Chinese or or anybody who's been in, uh, you know, and, and held under quote by the man? Quote, after watching last night's debate, this signing can't come too soon, Newsom said during a video conference with lawmakers and other stakeholders. Quote, as a nation, we can only truly thrive when every one of us has the opportunity to thrive. Our painful history of slavery has evolved into structural racism and bias built into and permeating throughout our democratic and economic institutions. 
that's the systemic racism that uh, Vice President Biden referred to during the debate. Uh, California entered the Union as a free state in 1850, and the task force will study issues involving slavery that followed entry, including an 1852 fugitive slave law that said a, quote, enslaved black person who had entered California when it was still a territory had no legal right to freedom, even though the state constitution banned slavery. That according to the California Historical Society. Slavery became illegal throughout the United States in 1865, so well over a century ago. State-level reparations that the law authorizes won't be considered a replacement for reparations enacted at the federal law level, according to the law. Democratic contenders for president have previously expressed support for slavery reparations, an initiative not favorable among Republicans. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden said in February that he supports a study on slavery reparations while demanding immediate action to correct institutional racism in America. There's just so many questions there. I mean, there really are. There are so many questions uh, there. It's just amazing to me uh, dealing with this. Because is this just going to be about black people? I mean, in California, what are you going to do about uh, Chinese people and Hispanic people? Your, their state doesn't have a sterling record in any way, shape, or form about helping those folks. They've done more to keep them under their thumb than they did of helping them, of giving them freedom the way, quote, the white man had, you know. Don't get me wrong now. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not into that whole, you know, feeling that I uh, should feel ashamed about being a white person because I don't. All right. Time for me to get out of here. Don't forget to be with me tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. We'll take up more issues like this on the Dave Ellswick Show.